Welcome to the Weird World Podcast. My name's Carrie. <laughs> I'm Jack. I'm Dean. I'm Emma. That's an upbeat intro. Like <laughs> and Dean's gonna talk about something weird. Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of. We've been promising you, the listeners, something a little more upbeat, or at least not, you know, Debbie sad and yeah. dead Death, people murder. and things like that. So there is no murder in this story. Yay. Yay. No murder, but that doesn't mean no death. I don't think there's death either. Not okay, really. good. So we're going back to 1969. This is when the Western movie called Death of a Gunfighter came out. It came out in May of 1969. It got solid reviews. got pretty generally pretty good reviews. The feature starred veteran actor Richard Widmark. Heard of him. And was directed by a newcomer named Alan Smithy. The New York Times thought the film was, quote, sharply directed by Alan Smithy, who mm-hmm. has an adroit facility for scanning faces and extracting sharp background detail. Whatever, whatever. that means. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> film critic ease. Not yet legendary film critic Roger Ebert. Oh. He wrote that, quote, director Alan Smithy, a name I'm not familiar with, allows his story to unfold naturally. He never preaches and he never lingers on the obvious. That was from Ebert and, and hmm. I believe it was Chicago, either Tribune or Chicago Sun-Times, and of course the New York Times. So good, you know. It's kind of a hot new director, Alan Smithy, had seemed to have a bright future. Sure. In fact, Alan Smithy would go on to direct over 25 feature films over the next 30 years. Okay. My, my. Alan Smithy was a Hollywood somebody. <laughs> the only problem was Alan Smithy was a nobody. That is, there was no such person as Uh Alan Smithy. Uh Uh-oh. Alan Smithy was a fiction. Steven Spielberg. What? Uh. So nobody directed those movies? Let's find out, Gary. Okay, Dean. Oh, my goodness. We're going to go back again to 1968. This is when Death of a Gunfighter was actually filming, before it came out. Things were not going well on the set. And this was not just because Westerns were beginning their slow death Mm -hmm. (laughs) that would culminate really by, I don't know, what do you think, early 70s. They were virtually gone. Were they? When was Clint Eastwood Eastwood movies? The the big one, the Westerns, the spaghetti Westerns were in the 60s. And he still made, like, Unforgiven, when that was made, you know what, that was considered a throwback. A a major Western hadn't made a splash in... Years and years when yeah. that for, for instance, came out. Yeah. Was, do you know when that was, Emma? You, you're no, I don't know. Pretty savant that. with this kind of thing, no? 75? Unforgiven? Unforgiven, no. No, much later. Your anything. lifetime. Oh. Yeah, mid 90s, I want to say. That's not my lifetime. Well, almost. <laughs> what, when? Oh, 92. 92, yeah. yeah. I, I thought it was lifetime. much later. I thought yeah. it was like in the 2000s. But Still that, a throwback. It, it was, when that came out, I remember that was like, oh, it's been 20 years, years since yeah. Weston's worth thing. So it was. But that was not why Death of a Gunfighter was having problems. The movie was written by Lewis Patton and Joseph Cavelli and was directed by a guy named Robert Totten. But everyone knew who was really in charge, and that was lead actor Richard Widmark. So Richard huh. Widmark was a pretty big deal. Have you? No. Mm-mm. He was a big movie star. He was a pretty big yeah. star. I don't doubt that. I believe you, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I won't gaslight you, He's... but I don't, I don't know him. He had been working since the, the oh, probably the 40s, really. He started as kind of this dark villain. He had this hawk-like face, and so he became a very stereotypical I, villain. 
kind of a tough guy. He was in movies like Kiss of Death, which I believe he was a murderer, Night of Night and the City and Garden of Evil. And these do sound quite menacing. Yeah, they are. They are. They're like gangster movies and things like that. He was in. He had evolved into some good guy roles, though. For instance, he was Jim Bowie in the 1960 version of The Alamo. Oh. And he played a U.S. lawyer in Judgment at Nuremberg. Oh. I've heard of that movie. That movie. <laughs> That's about the trial of the Nazis after World yes. War II. But then he went back to being a kind of a baddie as this ruthless railroad kingpin in How the West Was Won in, mm. I think, 1964 or 5, something like that. But Death, Death of a Gunfighter told a story about the end of the Wild West. Is sort of metaphorical. It was how the old ways of the West were just inexorably giving way to the needs and realities of the oncoming 20th century. It was set in about 1900 mm. in Texas, kind of rural Texas. And that, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 years before would have been total Wild West kind of a, a place. But now it's slowly starting to modernize. And he plays a lawman called Frank Patch, who's kind of old mm-hmm. school. And he's at odds with the town leaders who want to, to you know, want to make more money and mm-hmm. want the, the city to modernize. So one night, Marshall Patch kills a drunken rowdy. It's in self-defense, but it doesn't matter. It's the excuse the town elite need to force him to resign. Patch, however, he has other ideas. He knows all where all the bodies are buried. He knows their background. He knows kind of the nasty things these rich folks did when they were founding this town back uh-huh. in the day. Because rich folks are the nastiest. They are. They're pretty nasty. <laughs> it's true. And when they f- are founders, they're probably the nastiest. Wow. Okay. Let's... Uh, Let's not lose track. <laughs> so uh, I swear to God, all I have, we, we, Karen and I need to say so little to set these guys off. Onto a, Just talk uh, about rich people. I, that's all, that's all really we have to do. it. I hate those motherfuckers. Even fictional rich people in 1900 <laughs> Texas. Yeah. Are these fictional? Yes. This oh, is yeah, about this Death is of a movie. Gunfighter. <laughs> so he uses this leverage over them to say, I ain't going. So he refuses to quit. They can't make him quit. So l- later in the movie, he humiliates one of the councilmen, which is one of the persons trying to force him out. And that councilman then kills himself. So Jeez. now oh my God. the rich folks have had enough. They're going to kill Marshall Patch. Spoiler alert from here, though. The movie ends with he kind of goes on. He cleans up some. He writes some old wrongs with people in the town. He sort of gets things in order and cleans up what he can. And then he knowingly walks into an ambush. And he is murdered by hired snipers from rooftops. The end. Wow. Upbeat. Uh, Super upbeat. Absolutely feel good hit of, the, of 1969. Mm-hmm. It's a nice story, actually. But Widmark, <laughs> I thought, I think it's actually a pretty good, especially at the time. It was, you know, it's interesting the way the West sure. was, was changing. Yeah, but nice is not. It's a, yeah, a good, a story. good story. You know, I swear to God, story. we were so afraid for the last, I don't know, what do you would say, 40 years to kill the lead character. I, more lead characters should die. Lead characters should I die disagree. pretty routinely, I think. Why? If it's, yeah. a, if it's a violent movie pretty or something routine. like that, they pretty should. Routine. Other it's than just... war movies where they kind of have to, like, um, Saving Private Ryan, you almost never see main... Spoiler alert. Jesus. Actors die. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's an interesting story. But anyway, Widmark, he, he hated the way Robert Totten was directing. And he told him so all throughout. So the two battled fiercely throughout the film, and it dragged on for a year in filming and production. Damn. Those two just add it. And by that time, by later 1968, the bulk of the film was in the can, so Widmark finally forced Totten 
out. He basically said, it's him or me and, and to the studio, and so they fired Totten, and they replaced him with Don Siegel, who was an experienced kind of action-adventure director who would later, by the way, go on to direct Dirty Harry. Oh, oh. oh. I know that one. Siegel only shot, though, for about nine or ten days. That's mm, it. That's not very much. But even then, and even in that time, everyone knew that Woodmark was in charge throughout, and he had been. So st- still, though, because Siegel was the dire- kind of director of record, he was due to be listed as director for Death of a Gunfighter. Don Siegel, though, he, he had some ethics, and he just didn't think that was right. He didn't think that was fair. He didn't think he deserved credit. And anyway, he had very little impact on the finished product. It really wasn't you know, his film. So that should have meant that original director... Robert Totten should get the director credit. Right. But hold on. Totten also did not want the directing credit. He was done with this movie. He made it clear that Widmark had been in charge really throughout and had won pretty much every battle over creative differences. So he, he also felt, this is not my movie. So the, And this is basically, by the way, a battle that was being fought in the Directors Guild of America, the... DGA. DGA. They ruled on disputes like this. Like the WGA rules on writers' disputes, they Mm. ruled on directorial disputes like this. The DGA, though, also had an agenda. This is late 60s, right? And their agenda was to present the director as the driving creative force behind every movie. This is nonsense. Film is an incredibly collaborative art. But that was they were trying to sort of make that be just accepted. Of course, now it's completely accepted, and you routinely see a film by to the director, which is incredibly greedy and, and dishonest, but there it is. And so directors are given complete creative control over movies now and are, are seen as almost the author of a movie. And, mm-hmm. this is the, and, and the DG at this time was trying to make that uh, a thing, which they were successful at. Well, yeah. somebody's got to make the no, final decision. Yeah, they do, but to, to, to say a, a movie, to say the director yeah. is sort of the author of a movie is, is utterly nonsense. I would think it would be the writer. I would think it'd be yeah. everyone. The yeah. writer, the, yeah. I like the, the director, the actors. Model. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. it's incredibly collaborative. One person being like, yeah. the authority is never... That's what I, I, I mean. I mean, seeing like the director really made that, that's just... It's stupid. It's not yeah. like a novel or a play. It's it's clearly not yeah. true. Anyway, it's not a YouTube video yeah. where right. one person can do everything. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're the Ethan, the Cohen brothers or something like that, when you really oh, need to do everything. So you had Siegel, Don Siegel, who did not want credit for his meager contributions, and also because he's kind of playing second fiddle to Widmark. Widmark, as an actor, obviously would not get directed credit, even though he probably kind of deserved it. And then you had the primary director, Robert Totten, saying he did not want his name on that picture mm-hmm. since, again, he didn't feel that the film was his vision or that he had been under creative control. By the way, it was said also that Widmark was bugging the studio to not give Totten director's credit because he just didn't like him. Hey, I have a couple yes. questions. Hey. Hey. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> was Richard Widmark an asshole? Um, Probably. I don't know. <laughs> I can't answer that for sure. He certainly seems like he had a vision for the movie and he wanted to control it, but uh-huh. I don't know. Okay, I don't know que- if that makes him asshole or not. Question number two? Yes. Um, now actors act and direct. They do all the time, yeah. But Richard Widmark at the time was not a member of the DGA, so he could not get a director credit, and he wasn't actually directing. So there's no way he could have gotten director's credit, even though he was winning all the battles creatively. Okay, so say an actor decides, I'm going to direct this movie. I mean, he doesn't get to decide on his own, but, you know, he's allowed to direct and also act in it. How... Does he have to somehow become a member of the 
You have, it's did? weird. It's a little okay. it's a little catch twenty two because you have to have credits to get exactly. But you can yeah. I mean essentially, uh, you know I don't know for sure the answer huh. to that. Sounds but, dumb. Well, yes. Sounds red tapey for no good reason. It's it's controlling is what it yeah. is. Yeah, it's very controlling. Yeah. The same the same way. I mean you can like like there's all you can be not in the WGA and right because you have to get credits and so it'll be. You'll see movies when they looking for a ride. They'll say, you know, this is going to be non WG. Right. There's too many rules. There are a lot of rules. Yeah. Too many. I don't like them. I all. mean, I understand unions. I mean, I understand unions. Period. <laughs> I guess <laughs> even for directors and writers, I but the yeah, oh yeah, of and crews and stuff like that. But I don't know. Yeah. Okay. That seems like a, a bit of an overstep of control. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Without that, though, well, I don't know. That's, that's <clears> that specific. Yeah. yeah. That I'm getting to say, maybe, oh, so. if you're not a part of our specific club, yeah, you suppose. cannot get right. credit. But yeah. in fairness, he had not really directed. He had not called action. He had yeah. not set up the oh, shots. No. So okay. Totten should have been. Uh, but no. So, th- so there you have it. So you have Don Siegel who said, I don't want it. I don't deserve it. You have Robert Totten who says, I don't want it because I don't want to be associated with that film. It was not under my control. It was under Richard Widmark's control. Someone had to be listed as director. What are you going to do? Make up a name. Some bright person at the DGA said, hey, I guess we can credit it to a non-existent person. Somebody else said, hmm, I guess so. And so how about we just say it was directed by, oh, I don't know, Al Smith. That was the first (laughs) proposal (laughs) there. I have another question. Yes. Why? Why? Because someone what? has to direct. You can't say Why? directed by. You, you can't credit. say directed by anonymous. That looks back. You're, you're trying to market a film. If it says if you, if people know the director refuses to be associated with that film, what does that say to the audience? Yeah, not good. So you have to just say this person directed it. And they kept the fiction up because, like, like we learned at the front here, major film critics did not know Alan Smithy was not, was a, not real a real person. person. Yeah. How? Huh. Okay. Yeah, you think, the, mean, you think the industry that would have got out, but it did not. Yeah. So, so the first person says Al Smith. Somebody says, sure, why not? But hold on, said Karen from marketing. <laughs> That's <laughs> a pretty finance. nondescript name. Directors should have cool names, I think, says Karen. And it also <laughs> sounds kind of fake, Al Smith. They were worried about that. They didn't want it to sound fake. So they elongated the Al to, Al to Alan. In this case, it's spelled A-L-L-E-N. Clever. Far more sophisticated, obviously. <laughs> and then they also put an E at the end of Smith, which is not super genius. Smith and that's still. And then they realized that still might sound like Smith. Yeah. Or worse yet, Smythe, Smythe is some yeah. English knob. So they added another E to Smith with an E to make it Smithy. Really? S-M-I-T-H-E-E. Okay. Sorry, England. That's... <laughs> Well, you got to think. Who would want a Western directed by a a Western? Seriously, another name they tossed around was Dan Cooper, but Dan Cooper. That's and that's would later be the the Mm -hmm. the man. (laughs) That seemed so. Alan Smithy seemed interesting. Alan Smithy seemed interesting without being suspicious. They thought, and so you had Death of a Gunfighter, officially directed by Alan Smithy, who, despite being a non-person, he got all the praise from the critics who liked it when the movie came out in the spring of 1969. As an aside, by the way, technically, uh, that was not the first instance of the name of Alan Smithy being used. Most people think it is. It was not. Burt Reynolds had a movie called Fade In. He was acting in a movie called Fade In. It was originally titled Iron Cowboy. Oh, (laughs) God. It was directed by Judd Taylor. And it's likely that he heard about the ruling of Death of a Gunfighter, letting Widmark, I'm sorry, letting uh, Totten use the name. Alan Smithy, and he also thought, 
I don't want to be associated with this shitty movie that they're now going to change the name to Fade In. So he petitioned the DGA, and Fade In was listed as being directed by Alan Smithy, A-L-A-N, when it was released in late 1968, which was a few months before Death of a Gunfighter was released. So does that make sense? So yeah. the decision came down before Iron Cowboy slash Fade In was released, so technically, and it was ascribed to Alan Smithy, so technically it was the first use, even though Death of Gunfire was when the initial decision and the idea of Alan Smithy was made. So Taylor, the director, he may have thought the film was shit because he said he didn't have editing control over it that he felt he should have had. I, I've read his quote about that. My, my guess is just a shitty film. He didn't want anything yeah. to do with it. <laughs> Interestingly, Star Reynolds thought Faden was first-class cinema. <laughs> He was really miffed when the studio gave it a very limited release. It was a box office dud, and Paramount head Bob Evans buried it after that. It was almost immediately out of circulation entirely. It was forgotten. It came out, made no money, and was forgotten. But Burt Reynolds was a pretty big star by then. He called it, Burt Reynolds called it a quote, an American version of a man and a woman. That's a critically adored French film made in 1966 about this budding relationship of a widow and widower. So that was like saying, you know, you, we've not heard of it now, but at the time, that was like, yeah. everybody thought that was one of the best movies ever made. He's delusional. He mm. <laughs> pretty is. Fade In, by the way, as an aside, was the first time an on-screen character was shown taking a contraceptive pill. Oh. So there's that. <laughs> That's really random. <laughs> random. In 68? 68, yeah. You know, was this like a Western, too? No, it was It was in the West, but it was a mall. It was, oh, took place it was in contemporary be times. Iron Cowboy. Yeah. Yeah, he's think... on a horse. He's a cowboy, but it took place in 1968. I mean, was... I thought the pill didn't come into existence until the 70s. Oh, no. Really? It was the, the Supreme Court ruling was in 1960, as a matter of fact. I'm totally forgetting. It was in Connecticut. Blah, blah, blah hmm. versus Connecticut. 1960 legalized the pill. Officially, it was not that. Borf control. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Fade In and later Death of a Gunfighter were not the end of the career of Alan Smithy. First, by the way, note the change. It went from A-L-L-E-N to A-L-A-N, and that very quickly became the norm. That was the standard. There was an urban legend, by the way, that the new spelling was done because it formed an anagram for, quote, the alias Min. Oh. But that's not true. I was ready for anal. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, Alan Smithy became the go-to for when a director wanted to disassociate himself or herself from a film. Because up until 1960, by the way, this was such a big thing. It needed a really thorny uh, situation like Death of a Gunfighter for this to happen. So up until 1968, it was actually against DGA Guild policy to even allow directors to use a pseudonym. So McGee would have had a problem back then. Shout out to McGee. Not That's really. a pseudonym. It's not his real name. It's I guess one of his names is McG something with a G, but it's, I don't know. Maybe not. Anyway, <laughs> the intent of that rule was actually to protect directors. The DGA feared that producers would force directors to use pseudonyms back pseudonyms back in the day oh. as a way to sort of stifle them becoming household names and making more money and being seen as in control of movies. I can see that producers are shady. I shady could absolutely folk. see that. Mm-hmm. So DGA got some power and said, "Okay, you can't. You directors can't use pseudonyms because we're afraid you'll be forced to, and you'll say you want to, but you really don't." Hmm. That was why it was such a process in Death of a Gunfighter for this to happen, and it took a situation where, okay, no one's in bad faith here. We've got to do something about it, and so you had the Alan Smithy name. And, and technically, a producer, a director had to prove to the DGA that they did not have full creative control of the film in question. How the hell do you do that? You had to say, yeah. like, 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 like Robert Totten. He said, oh. Widmark 
won every creative decision. I it wasn't my work. On the or that guy for a fade in said, "Oh, I was supposed to have X number of days in the editing room with it. They didn't give me that many days in, in the mm. editing room. It wasn't mm. my vision." I was and again in that situation. I think he was full of shit. <laughs> And also, again, it coincided with the DGA's agenda of having the director be the auteur you yeah. Know, of yeah. the, the film. Yeah. So, oh, okay, we'll let you do it if you didn't have creative control because we know the directors should have complete creative control. So it was very convenient for them. And then that's, by the way, why you had these situations where the director had to, had to somehow invent a way he or she was not in creative control, even when sometimes the real reason, as we know, was it you made a, a really bad movie. So when the Smithy name was granted, you were never supposed to see anything about it. Mm. You had to just keep completely mum. You couldn't even acknowledge that you had anything to do with that film. Ooh. Oh, you wow. mean the, NDA, baby. the real director. The real director. The real director could not, you couldn't even like on the sly say you know, that you had any um, involvement with that film whatsoever. It would just be kind of a big, well-paid blank on your resume but yeah. you you couldn't you know you couldn't let people know. Was there anything stopping the actors in the movie from yeah. telling people? Or it like was the just crew and no, editing. No. I'm lot. sure it got out all the time. But yeah. as long as it's if it's just stayed in industry, no big deal. Yeah. As long as it didn't become generally known. Yeah. Death of a Gunfighter may have been the critical high point for the prolific director Alan Smithy. But again, as I mentioned, over the next three decades, Alan Smithy made over 25 films and many TV episodes too. By the way, it's also not uncommon for directors to use the name Alan Smithy or at least have their names removed when they, there are those boulderized versions of their movies shown on, like, over-the-air TV or in airplanes. That's very common. You know how they have to cut it up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the Delta Airlines version of Schindler's List was made into a rom-com. You people. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm, I'm lying about I that. I know you are. So, uh, you know, and ra- it's not so much creative control in that case. It's like, no, that's not my movie. I want my name off. That happens actually pretty regularly. Still hmm. to this day? Yeah. Oh, wow. Although not really for airplanes. Do, do airplanes show movies anymore? I don't know. Uh, no. they do. Oh, do they? I haven't seen one in so long. We haven't, but we've been, I, I haven't flown for a really long time in a long time. <laughs> but our flights have been an hour, Short, two yeah. hours. Yeah. I'm sure longer ones probably have a movie. It's been a show. long yes. time. I'm trying to think. It's probably been... Uh, over a decade since I've flown for like a four or five, six hour flight. Yeah. I know, no, no, it hasn't been. You went been. to New York. Yeah, yeah, never mind. Never mind. They didn't show Liar. movies. You're right. Uh, no, I've been yeah, in New York uh, multiple times in the last few years. And well, you usually I think I did. Now it's like because <laughs> they weren't showing movies. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Everybody everyone has, their has their a iPad. tablet and yeah. an iPhone. Yeah, so. but again, sometimes it's because they just made a shitty movie. But anyway, so there have been lots of Alan Smithy movies. So let's explore a few, shall we? One of the highest profile ones was The Birds 2, Land's End. You heard of it? No. No. Like The Birds as in Alfred Hitchcock? Yes. It was released in 1994. Land's End. Oh, okay. Universal Studios had a big hit resurrecting Anthony Perkins in Psycho 2 just a couple years before. So they figured, okay, obviously any Hitchcock reboot will make a lot of money. Let's go. Yeah. So they reached into the vault. They said, hey, The Birds was a hit three decades ago or so. <laughs> Jeez. It always had a kind of a certain buzziness to it. Let's, yeah. You know, it did. Because of but the abuse? Uh, of the birds? Of the to people? Be people. <laughs> of the one. No, that's no. not the why. Birds. No, as a movie, Birds was like, yes. not as successful, but it had kind of an edge to it, like Psycho did, right? Yeah. 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 I know what you mean. And they also figured we can do the special effects way better nowadays, so let's do that one. Tippi Hedren said yes to even being in the film since she needed to feed the lions and tigers that she rescued. Yeah, say, Stockholm true. Syndrome. That's literally <laughs> why. She was but almost obvi- never acting. She had not acted yeah. in years, oh, yeah. but... 
I know what you're going to say. And, and I, I was going to say, obviously, no, Alfred Hitchcock. Is yes. Right. I believe he was dead. I know. <laughs> he was there dead as hell and ugly as hell. Probably a contributing factor. She would play a new character, by the way, because it uh, was set thir- you know, 30 years after the right. incident in Bodega Bay. In fact, in, in the movie, they refer to, oh, my God, something like this happened 30 years ago in Bodega Bay. It was set oh, wow. in, the s- in the south, like North Carolina or something like that. Okay, you know. The movie, by the way, was made for Showtime. And this was an early foray into original features for the premium cable channel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the movie was atrocious. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> a lot of sequels to I mean, except this, for Shrek 2. This was where, but then Shrek 3 was terrible and Shrek 4 was embarrassing. Shrek 3 was not that bad. It was awful. Sorry. I don't uh, did you even see it? I think I saw, saw, maybe not. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. It was terrible. I didn't see Shrek 4, but I heard it was awful. No it was not God of Three awful, but but awful. He saw Shrek was it awful? Yeah. You saw Shrek Four, the one with uh, Stiltskin? Shrek Ever After, bitch. Oh. Yes, I do. <laughs> I've seen it. I remember it. <laughs> I've seen Shrek Four too. Bitch has my childhood. I will take no slander. <laughs> did Alan Smithy direct it? Probably. Yeah, <laughs> probably did. <laughs> no, Mike Myers directed it. Uh, did he really? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually he is one of those persons like that. Yes. Who is considered very try to try to take over? He did that with um, uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer which was originally written by the author, the screenwriter, wrote 25 drafts. It worked his ass off. Finally got green-lighted. It was, it, it, the character was supposed to be Jewish and kind of Jewish angst about it, and, and Mike Myers turned it into a Scottish... You know, He completely changed the character, well, and he actually wanted co-writing credit for it. He didn't deserve it, and that writer to hit, showed some, some balls. And with said, Shrek, Shrek was originally wrote for Chris Farley, and Chris Farley had done a lot of the voiceover work already in like his regular Chris Farley voice and then obviously he passed away so Mike Myers took took the role over and he said I don't like the like I don't want to do that accent I don't want to do like this weird like they were going to make it like a Canadian accent he was like no let's do Scottish because that's his go-to accent yeah yeah Huh. I mean, I do support it in the Shrek role, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I know. But in, in, in so I met an axe murder. He was a, a real asshole about yeah. that. Yeah, he is a dick. Yeah, he does have that rep. Yeah. So director, uh, so the movie was terrible. Director Rick Rosenthal thus gave the credit to Alan Smithy. Now I don't know if there was any kind of a pretense that someone he just said I don't want to be associated with the movie. <laughs> yeah. Have Alan Smithy be listed as the director. Tippi Hedren said she would, quote, hate to think what Hitchcock would have said about the movie, and that it was, quote, absolutely horrible. It embarrasses me horribly. Uh-oh. So Poor it was, Tippi. She did not hold back. The Hellraiser franchise has yeah. been hugely oh. successful. Never as you seen know. A single one. I've seen the first one. I don't know if I've seen other ones after that. But I the haven't. fourth one, Hellraiser Bloodline. Is the best nice. one? No. <laughs> it was released in 1996, and it was not so much. Not so much Mm-mm. good. Miramax. <laughs> Studio, they hired legendary direct, I'm sorry, they hired legendary special effects guru Kevin Yager. He was the special effects person who was behind the whole Freddy Krueger look. Mm. So he had a good rep. And they said, well, then we're going to let you direct Hellraiser Bloodline. That's weird. It's, I mean, it's not. Why? There's no reason that shouldn't be true. Because you can do good special effects. You hey, there's a lot of film? people who want to direct and should direct who are doing the other things first. Yeah, it's that's not... like when stuntmen direct action films. I think that makes a lot of sense. Oliver Stone yeah. was a screenwriter, and he had to actually self-fund Salvador to be able to direct, even though he's a very successful screenwriter before that. Yeah. And Salvador was a critical darling, so he was able to start directing more. If that had not been true, he would have never been a director. So, yeah, no, I, I, I applaud this. Miramax, however, did not like his cut at all. So they hired a new director to shoot new scenes, and they spliced the two 
things God. together into kind of a hybrid beast. Wait, Miramax did Hellraiser movie? Yeah, Miramax did Hellraiser movie. I was wondering <laughs> when you're going to pick up on that. Uh, yeah, Holy you didn't cow. miss the first time you said that. <laughs> I know. It this took me a minute to process. This it. is in the mid '90s, so they weren't just art house. Yeah, at this wow. Point. And they 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 never were. They always did some more commercial stuff yeah. too, you in addition to bills, you know Room with a View or shit like that. <laughs> so. Reminiscent of Death of a Gunfighter, the new director, Joe Chappelle, he did not direct enough scenes to warrant credit, director credit, and Yager did not want it. He said, nope, you made this piece of shit. I want nothing to do with it. So Alan Smithy stepped in and is the director of Hellraiser Bloodline. Wow. Now, before you think that special effects guy should not direct, Carrie, yeah. and that was why the movie was awful, Yager actually would later go on to direct... Nothing, the actually. The Lord of the Rings <laughs> franchise. <laughs> he went back to do special effects and made such movies as Sleepy Hollow and Lemony Snicket. <gasps> Work. He Wait, was a those very, were good. He was a very good effects guy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Let not so much director. He was the, the effects on that. Mm -hmm. not, he never directed another movie in his life. That's okay. He had a shot. He knows what he's good at. Yeah. Accidental Love. Ever heard of it? No. It was a 2015 monstrosity. 15? That's wow. recent. That actually started filming back in 2008. Eight. Oh, oh my! Oh, just bad, give bad, it up. Bad. Just stop. Not a, not a good sign. Yeah. yeah. David O. Russell. Ew. He would later go on to tremendous acclaim for Silver Linings Playbook. He directed it. He was, as you know, a notorious asshole. Yes. And he did he do The Descendants too? Yes. He He's done. Some wait, did he do an the American Descendants? Hustle? I don't. I don't know if he did it or right? not. No. Oh, okay. He did. Yeah, I think I'm he did it. Sure. Yes. Yeah. I'm pretty Title? sure. Okay. He. Allegedly, Russell allegedly got punched in the face by George Clooney on the set of Three did, Kings, yes. who was standing up for the crew that Russell constantly berated, mm -hmm. and Clooney knew they couldn't stand up for themselves, so he he punched uh, Russell in the in the Good noggin. Job, George Clooney. Accidental Love was this weird story starring Jessica Biel as a woman shot in the head with a nail gun. Oh, I know this. Really? So know. she goes to Washington to advocate for people who suffer weird injuries, because that's a thing, apparently. Weird, ominous <sighs> foreshadowing for oh, yeah, a dumbass. I mean, you, know, you know, that old cinema trope. That you go to Washington to now talk about people getting shot in the head by uh, nail guns. So the production had repeatedly been shut down for lack of money. That's why it took so long. Hmm. Then Russell, just stop it. You, they really should have cancel. But you know, they spent millions, so yeah. they want to get something out of it. They spend more. Yep. Sunk cost. Sunk cost. Policy. Yeah, it is. Russell quit after the film. I'm sorry, he quit the film because he viewed the scenes that they did have in the can, and he said, "This is shit." <laughs> But eventually, the studio cobbled it together into a flop, and they credited it to uh, Stephen Green. High flop. Not Alan Smithy, but in the same spirit, so I wanted to, to mention that. I huh. thought it was going to be Alan Smithy. Stuart Rosenberg. He directed a 1968-1986 action thriller with Robert Duvall, oh. Duvall called Let's Get Harry. Oh, God. Ooh, the title, title referred to the name of the character, not to everyone stop shaving, but it was... Direct, is credit to Alan Smithy, mainly because of Mark Harmon. You know who that is? Actor? Yeah. Yes. The name sounds that familiar. Sound Mark Harmon has a small role in Rosenberg's cut, his original cut. He actually didn't even appear until the final scene. But Harmon was on a TV oh. show called Saint Elsewhere. What's he on now? NCIS. NCIS. So at the time, though, this is... He was the, the dad in Freaky Friday. Okay, there we go. Ding, ding. There we go, fans. Yeah. He was on St. Elsewhere here in the mid-80s, and during and just after the principal filming, he blew up. Yeah. He was actually named People's Sexiest Man Alive. Yeah. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. So the producers said, we want more Mark Harmon <laughs> in this film. So they shot some new footage and they forced it in and Rosenberg took a walk. The film grossed a whopping $140,000 oh, in its opening shit. weekend. That's that was very sarcastic, little. by the way. Another movie where the true director was not exposed was a movie called Exposed. Nice. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah, yes. unfortunately. The flick was originally envisioned as a bilingual emotional drama called Daughter of God. Anyone? Anyone? No. No? It starred Anna de Armas and Keanu Reeves. Anna. And it, Anna? Sorry. De Anna, Anna de Armas and Keanu Reeves. And it dealt with child abuse and violence against women. My goodness. Oh. Daughter of God was, it was a very serious movie. It even had this kind of this surreal sensibility about it. And it had a strong take against violence and abuse of authority, in this case, police abuse. Work. So they made the whole film, right? Finished it. But then there was a failure to communicate because Lionsgate, the distributor, bought the finished film. For some reason, mm. though, Lionsgate thought they had bought a standard issue cop thriller. Oh. Nothing remotely like this movie. Yeah. An honest, Reeves, honest so. mistake, no doubt. I mean, I'm sure it was. <laughs> no, Keanu Reeves has always been willing to take on different movies than just you know standard shit. So they did a recut, shifting Keanu's lesser character, in, who was a cop, mm-hmm. into the lead so they can have this kind of police thriller. Oh, God. They, oh, wow. they just completely morphed the movie in editing. Unsurprisingly, pardon? Yeah. That's terrible. So director G. Malik Linton was not happy. No. He took his name off the now renamed Exposed, so they changed from Daughter of God to Exposed, and it was released in 2016 to awful reviews under the directorial helm of the fictitious Declan Dale. And you'll uh, see in a minute why these aren't uh, Alan Smithy anymore. Declan there is, Dale. There's supposed to be a Linton director's cut out there somewhere, but I'm sorry. It's been ruined. Just I nope, see why it. bother? You? Yeah. Which no. one? The director's cut yeah. or Exposed? I kind of want to see both. I don't want to see a <laughs> I don't want to see a story about a cop. Someone, well, he's a very, I think he's a corrupt cop. I think a cop and it actually murders somebody. I, it's, like I said, it's about abuse of children so and things like that. it shows who real cops are. Uh, but, like a, but not the re-edited version. Is, it it's, just yeah. makes it into just an action thriller. Yeah. Someone thought that famous drug user Dennis Hopper would be perfect. <laughs> famous drug user. <laughs> kind of what he uses. Oh, Lord. They thought he'd be perfect to direct a movie called Catch Fire in Wait, 1990. Dennis Hopper, the guy from Blue Velvet? Yes. Okay. Blue. <laughs> nope, Jack it. quickly censored himself. <laughs> I was like, we got the royalties well. for that. <laughs> I, you know, I think they'd be okay with it. Uh, catch Fire, by the way, one word. Look, cool title. No. Yes, true. That's dumb. So, I mean, Hopper had directed Easy Rider. But that basically consisted of he and Peter Fonda <laughs> riding getting, around, getting super high, hopping on their motorcycles, and then Hopper yelled, action, and whatever happened after that was the movie. <laughs> so Catch Fire was going to be a little more intricate. It would be a thriller centering on a witness who is outrunning the thug hired to kill him. That was the basic premise of the movie. Jodie Foster was going to star. Mm. Joe Pesci was, had, a, had a decent-sized role, but he was uncredited, weirdly. It also had Vincent Price in one of his last movies and Bob Dylan in a cameo. Bob Zombie like Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) What? Doja Cat? Oh. Okay. Never mind. uh Uh-uh. I don't I'm think our listeners now. know Doja <laughs> They might, actually. It depends. <laughs> they better. They better. Uh, Carrie and I do uh, Dance 2021 to a Doja Cat song. What, does it say I so? I say so. I think so. Is yes. It? Yeah. Okay. I'm not a fan of the dance. say so. 
That's good. That was really good. Is it the TikTok dance? Shockingly, Jodie Foster and Dennis Hopper did not get along. They could not stand each other from day one. That makes sense. It yeah, makes perfect sense. <laughs> I'm on Jodie's side. I'm not. Yeah, he's a, he's she's also friends with Mel Gibson. So oh, I'm not really? A, she's never best mind. friends True. with Mel Gibson. Is she really? Yes. No. Next. Like she's advocated for him. I like her in other every other way, and Dennis Hopper is a notorious asshole. Yeah. I'm so I'm on her side in this particular. We're just, we're just throwing out who's an asshole, who's not an asshole. I have heard Dennis Hopper is a dick. But if you're friends with Mel Gibson, that's <laughs> not good. The studio hated the first cut, and so they re-edited it behind Hopper's back. So Hopper sued. I'm not sure what he was suing, but the studio that made it called Vestron Studios. They had in the meantime gone out of business. Oh, <laughs> so oh no! No one for him to sue, and no money for him to get. So voila. Alan Smithy became the director when Catch Fire was released in 1992. Terrible reviews. You see in a pattern there. Hopper would later release his own cut and call it Backtrack. And it was 18 minutes longer, but I'm going to say not any better. Yeah. Is my guess. I'm guessing that. I've never seen it. There's a movie called Woman Wanted. And this is another example of an actor directing that probably probably should not have. Anyone want to guess who that actor Edward is? Edward Norton. Jack? Oh, uh, Robin Williams. Good what, guess. What year? Um, sh- shit. I don't know. I didn't write it down. Oh. Can you someone look that up? What is the uh, movie Woman Wanted. Woman Wanted. Holly Hunter was going to play a... Well, she did. She played a housekeeper who kind of oh. weaves her way into the lives of her employer and his son. The son played by... Keith Kiefer Sutherland. Oh. Who also directed... Don't read anymore. No. Put it down. Put Emma. it down. Her name was Emma in the movie. So without any public statement, Sutherland said, I don't want my name on this movie, and they used the Alan Smithy fake. In 1999, that's an important day. While there were only was, three... I can't believe I haven't heard of that movie. It was... You love Holly Hunter? It Just with <laughs> those people, you think it would have been a big movie. There you go. You, I still see f- f- things come on like Netflix or HBO, and it's like... Wait, those are big actors. I've never heard of that movie. It yeah. never got released. Big it's, actors it's, have it happens to. all the time, actually. Although 1999 was Holly Hunter still. She's, Incredibles she's hadn't star, happened yeah. yet, so she might not have been a big name yet. Oh. <laughs> 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 that is a millennial statement. I know. I'm not a millennial at all. Uh, Gen Y, Gen Z, Gen F. Gen Z. I meant was she on her way down, not. No. Yeah. Wow. She, she had already been The Incredibles huge. was in 2005. She's a great actor. It's called Peaks and Valleys. Oh Valley. my God. Yeah, Carrie. She was taking some time off. <laughs> it's not she linear. Got, Damn. She I love Holly Hunter. She might have been dipping, but then she got Incredibles. Yes. Yeah. And then Incredibles too. I don't think Incredibles. You got. Made her career. It probably helped. For your generation. It remade it. it. Yeah, it did. It, it reinvented I, I it. it. Yeah. Don't try it, mother. <laughs> Don't even try it. Kay. Never speak Sarah, you're trying incredible. it, and, and I better tell you not to try it. Isn't she an Academy Award winning actress? She is indeed. For the piano. <laughs> <laughs> is that how you're supposed to say it? The piano. That's how she says it in the movie. She, the she, piano. Did she win? I thought No, Anna Paquin won Yeah, she did. I just know Holly Hunter was in it. So there are only three reviews on Rotten Tomatoes for this oh. movie, so it did not get any kind of release. They're all bad, by the way. Huh. <laughs> but tellingly, its audience score is 39%. And that's the score I trust. For that measure, that's a horrific <laughs> score. That's why it's like 98% for the shittiest movies ever made. That's, a, that's the, no. But that's, That's the people fun. who wanted to go see that movie, who paid money to go see that movie. Not exactly that's a... That's who I trust. I don't. Absolutely. I do. 39%. And it's always 90-something percent. Paddington 2 has 100%. What do you trust? Myself. Carrie trusts herself. <laughs> so there. I will go yeah. see a movie regardless of what the critics... So my oh, guess is that 
it's shittiness explains the whole Smithy thing, not Keith. I mean, Keith Sutherland was the star of it and didn't. So he just took his name off it because he was embarrassed by it. He's an asshole, too, I think. Technically. <laughs> yeah, I don't like him. God. <laughs> what? Super judgy. Yeah. I, I don't even know. Actually, I, I have heard he's an asshole. I've heard yeah. he's a dick. And his w- ears are weird. And 24 so, just And he's really me. short. And his name is really? real like easy to make. It's shocking how many are, like uh, actors four. are short. Shorter than you think they are. This would technically be the last movie credited to Alan Smithy, but more on that in just a bit. Honorable mention while we're on actors not making movies, Alec Baldwin directed a 2003 movie called Shortcut to Happiness. It kind of funked off the classic short story, The Devil and Daniel Webster. If you know the story, you're probably wondering how the fuck did they make it into a movie, and you're right to wonder that. Mm -hmm. It was updated, and it was sexier. It had Baldwin and Jennifer Mm -hmm. Love Hewitt. Ooh. But despite that, it was still terrible. So Baldwin used despite the name. That. Yeah, he used the name Harry Kirkpatrick instead of his own on this. And again, I I have to imagine the DGA just let him. And yeah, because clearly it was for the, the shittiness of the movie, not for any kind of creative thing. So bad edits for television, as we mentioned a, a little while ago, that's very common. They make directors freak out. They hate them. Examples of directors taking their names off and said, "Yeah, fine, no, you can make your money and show that on TV. Take my name off." The the Insider, Heat, Meet Joe Black, and Scent of a Woman were all shown on TV, directed by Alan Smithy. <laughs> in, I know every in these cases, it's, everyone knows. Everyone knows who yeah, directed, and that's, that's not the issue here. Stupid. It's saying, look, that's not my movie you're showing because you've so boulderized it with your stupid editing that I don't want it uh, to my name associated with that. That's fair in my mind. I know, but it's still dumb. It is. One of the highest profile cases of this kind of a thing, of directors getting pissed off by a, a movie edited for television, was Dune, the original Dune. Oh, wow. There's one coming out here. But this was in 1984. It was, this is, story is actually a bit more layered. Director David Lynch, he gave the studio a three-hour movie for theatrical release, right? The studio, though, wanted a two-hour movie. Hmm. This is not uncommon. The producers then did their own cut and they even added some scenes to make sense of a very, very complex plot. If you've seen Dune or read Dune, it's extremely complex. The books are, uh, Frank Herbert just goes in and starts saying things, and you're like, what the I hell is happening? it was supposed to be like an but unmakeable movie. Like it kind of was, like yeah. Cloud Atlas. Supposedly, it's very, because there's so many words and so many uh, right. characters, it's very difficult. The producers, so the producers famously or infamously added a long voiceover at the beginning to kind of set the stage because they were worried that was without this overview that most of the audience would be lost from the jump and they'd never catch up. Do you remember that? We saw it in the theaters. Or I think it was you. Was it you or was it Larry? Wrong bitch. Was it Larry? Okay, it was Larry. <laughs> never mind. We saw it in the theaters and it's like it's like a five minute, they have one of the lesser characters just go off and, it's, you know, the world is blah, blah, blah and explains the background and the, and the families that are fighting each other and things like that. It was, it was very, just pure exposition for a very long time. It's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> some theater goers were even given a glossary of unfamiliar terms oh out of the God. door. Like, wow. here's some words you're not going to know, and here's what they mean. <laughs> and this is, remember, this is a movie that they had just paid money to, to go watch, but yeah. that's how worried the, the producers were that it would be indecipherable. That's funny. So Lynch was not happy with the 137-minute product that was released um, into uh, the movie world in 1984, but he left his name on it. 
And it was a box office disappointment because it cost about $40 million to make. I don't remember what it grossed, but it, it, it didn't do $40 well million to make. This is back in the 80s. That was, that's, that's a, a money, $200 million yeah. movie yeah. now. Did you forget like when you met me because yeah, I don't, I know we didn't know I each other you. in 1984? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, huh? Shut up. Yeah, Not really. Yeah, huh? nah, I had heard of her. But uh, She, of course, had heard of me. That's you I met. Kind of a big deal. But no, I, no. Yes. Just... Okay, well, you know, you would know <laughs> better than, you know, the person who lived yeah. it. So here's, here's, the, here's how that played out, though. The studio then sold it for television, right? But now they wanted to go the opposite direction. They wanted to extend it as long as possible. Why? More commercial revenue, because now yeah. they're paying by the hour, paying by the, by the 30 second. This new longer edit was just a mess. And so for that one, and it was done completely without David Lynch involvement. So Lynch said, nope. Not having it, so Alan Smithy was credited as the director of the movie version, the TV version of Dune. By the way, just uh, writers have also occasionally done this. There's a 2011 movie called Hidden 3D, supposedly written by Alan and Elena Smithy, with an Y instead of an EE. This was an Italian-Canadian co-production, kind of a horror flick, it had both Canadian and Italian actors in it. Oh, <laughs> what an interesting weird. crossover. Yeah. It's very weird. Well, uh, they got money from Italy. They got money from Canada. Yeah. We've got to have Italian actors. We've got to have Canadian actors. Oh, and gosh, cinematographers, we're, we're running out of, of, out of money. What country can we go to for help? <laughs> Let's go to Italy. Italy. <laughs> you know, that bankrupt semi-democracy. <laughs> so, sorry, Italy. I'm kidding. But, you know, you need some stability. So, the effect... <laughs> Mussolini you, you really like the weird talking. You don't need Berlusconi. That's what you don't. Like a weird talking. Music videos, documentary shorts, television series, all these things have had Alan Smithy credits. Now, the end of the game for Alan Smithy came in spectacular fashion. This is one of my favorite stories. He blew up. Kind of. Joe Esterhaz, he was the hottest screenwriter maybe ever in the 1990s. A screenwriter has probably never been more of a name brand than Joe Esterhaz in the 1990s. He gave us the erotic thrillers, Basic Instinct, and Sliver. Oh my god. Both hits. Sharon. He also gave us gems like Jade and Sliver Showgirls. Was a hit? Sliver did made a lot of money. I did not know. I Jade that was a bomb. and Showgirls, not so much. Showgirls, never seen it, would like to see it. Terrible movie. Watch it. Jade is with it. David Spade as a five foot four leprechaun tough man. <laughs> and uh, it's an embarrassment. Leprechaun. No, not David Spade. David Cruz. David Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> David Spade. You know what? They're about the same size. One plays a Canadian, one plays a badass. Neither should probably David do Spade. either of those things. <laughs> David Spade. I always think of David Cruz as David Spade. It's what? Bad. I don't know why. Very different. That doesn't make no sense. Uh, still. Still. So, Esther Howes wanted to try his hand at satire in 1997. Uh-oh. And Hollywood said, sure, why not? Actually, they probably said something like, will it be an erotic satire? <laughs> and he said, no. They said, yeah, okay, whatever. Go ahead. Here's $10 million. What can go wrong? A lot. The result. $10 the result. $10 million? Bucks? They said, oh, come on. You're That's Joe has. You're going to make some money for us. The result was Burn Hollywood Burn. Ooh. The movie, this is awesome. The movie directly took on the Alan Smithy fiction Oh. By having a director, played by Monty Python veteran Eric Idle, whose oh. real name was Alan Smithy. He makes a movie. It's terrible. He wants to take his name off the movie. He is a member of the DGA. And by DGA rules, the only pseudonym he can use is, don't wait for it because you know the answer, Alan, Alan Smithy. Smithy. 
his actual name, so he's trapped into, ha- into being credited for this shitty movie he wants to be disassociated with. That's the basic nut of the movie. That's fun. In reality, though, it's weirder. And it's funnier than fiction, at least any fiction that Joe Asterhouse could write. In, so in the reality, the real-life director, the actual director of Burn Hollywood Burn, which was, by the way, was its name throughout most of the production was an Alan Smithy film, but the, the real director was Arthur Hiller. He was actually a, a respected veteran writer and director who had been, he served a stint as, direct, as head of the DGA from 1989 to 1993. Veteran, Damn. good guy. He hated the finished product and he argued to the DGA that the studio and Esterhaus, because Esterhaus was also the producer of this movie, or a producer, he, was, he wrote it and produced it. He said that those people, they edited the film behind my back, they had control, this is not my movie. So he thus demanded his name be removed from the movie, and so, again, don't wait for it, the film about Alan Smithy would be directed <laughs> By yeah. Alan oh Smith in real life, because in real life, that's the only name you could wow. use. Wow, this stranger than fiction. It really is. That's funny. So word got out in the industry about this, and the industry thought it was a joke. Critics and yeah. they thought it was bullshit. They thought it was a, a publicity stunt, which yeah. would really be a funny because it, it was a comedy. Yeah. And they thought this that can't be real. That's ridiculous. It's impossible for that to really happen. Sadly, it was real. Esther House released a statement saying, "Quote." I was informed this afternoon that Arthur Hiller has removed his name from an Alan Smithy film. Again, that was the original title. And we'll be using a pseudonym. Since the Director's Guild stipulates that the only pseudonym a director can use is Alan Smithy, I guess this means an Alan Smithy film will be an Alan Smithy film. <laughs> I know some people will think this is a guerrilla-style publicity stunt in a guerrilla production. It isn't. That's funny. It was true. That's very funny. The film was a disaster in every way, regardless. It won five Razzies. Oh. That's the awards given to the worst movies of the year, yeah. including Worst Picture of the Year. Yes. Wow. There's all the awards. Well, not all of them, but most of the big ones that are you get Oscars for, you could get a Razzie for as well. No, nah, it's, it's bad movies. Yeah, no, okay. I'm saying. This is a terrible movie. I'm it saying, was, but it has the similar category. Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was... Uh, Financial flop as well. Despite cameos from Sylvester Stallone, Whoopi Goldberg, Jackie Chan, and Billy Bob Thornton. What the fuck? I know. They're all because remember, they all play themselves. Yeah. And and that $10 million budget, it yielded $45,779 total domestic Ooh. gross oh my God. after playing in only 19 theaters. That's wow. one of the worst it, I've ever heard. It has an 8% rotten tomato score. Yeah, I've never heard of that. I I'd lo- I've heard of it. I, I remember when it's out. I love Eric Idle. Yeah. I, I don't think I ever saw it, though. I, I, I don't think what I... What year did it come out? 97. Yeah, you had kids. <sighs> that didn't stop me. <laughs> One and a half. <laughs> the well, bad press, though... <laughs> <laughs> the bad press around Burn, Hollywood Burn, led, led to moviegoers becoming more aware of this fiction of Alan Smithy. Yeah. So it kind of killed the Alan Smithy name. Also, over the years, some directors had talked about these movies they were associated with and how Alan Smithy was yeah. the name. So pretty much by this time, it became a shorthand for this movie is shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The director wants nothing to do with it. This must be a bad movie. So they, they, uh, a director named John Rich, he had been involved in the original invention of the fake name back in the late 1960s. He said about Alan Smithy at this time, he said, quote, he's been damaged to the point that it's unworkable. This is the ideal time for his obituary. So the last movie with the Smithy name was Woman Wanted. We talked about it a minute ago. 
But the last movie that went through the process was uh, called Supernova, which do you remember that? It was James Spader and Angela Bassett in a sci-fi thriller. It's actually a great cast. No. It was, it's not a horrible movie, but during the production, the budget was cut, so director Walter Hill kind of kept plugging away, did the best he could, and made, uh, had a lot of scenes finished, so he assembled kind of a rough cut that he was just going to show the studio MGM. In fact, it didn't have any finished special effects in it whatsoever. Let's just say, here's how it looks like, here's the pace, whatever, right? Without his permission, and unknown to him, MGM took that rough cut and they test audienced it. Oh, wow. What the hell? So unsurprisingly, it was bad, terrible, and it was panned mercilessly. MGM then refused, saying, oh, look, you made a shitty movie. We're not going to give you any more money for reshoots and effects, so he'll quit. Yeah, a science fiction movie with Unbelievable. no... Unbelievable, yeah. Or, or at least I they mean... said no finished special effects, so they, they uh, you know... They didn't want to spend any more money. So MGM brought in the legendary Francis Ford Coppola to supervise a re-edit of what footage they had with a new director. His name is Jack Shoulder. So they let Shoulder do some reshoots, actually, and they added some scenes that they tried to lighten up. They tried to do some humor and things like that, and they made some other changes. And so they took this new version, they tested it, still not great. So then they went back to Walter Hill, the original director, and hired him and said, fix this, he came out and said, I will need $5 million more for some more reshoots. They told him to fuck off. He quit again. MGM mm-hmm. finally put this cinematic creature out to audiences in 2000s to make back whatever they could because the budget on this bad boy was $60 million. Some said wow. it was actually $90 million, and they hid what? parts of the budget. Wow. Good lordy lord. But it didn't make much. The total international gross came in at just under $15 million. The director was listed as Thomas Lee. And again, that was, so that's, that, but that went through the Alan Smithy process and it was the last one to, to do so. More recently, Smithy is still used and he's used like a, 19, a 2018 horror movie called The Night Watchers and a French TV series called Tomorrow's Ours used that name. But essentially, the Alan Smith, after, after about 1999, 2000, the Smithy name was dead and they gave up on it. There are, we'll wrap it up. Were there are other reasons that pseudonyms are used, by the way, but some are pretty shitty reasons. In um, the late, the mid 60s, do you remember? Look up when A Fistful of Dollars was made. A Fistful of Dollars. That was one of those spaghetti westerns we talked about with Clint mm-hmm. Eastwood. Mm-hmm. It was directed by the Italian Sergio Leone. Yes. Great director. And the first one, that was Fistful of Dollars. 1964. So when they were ready to release it in the U.S., the studio changed Sergio Leone's name because they, could, they didn't think that Americans would accept a movie about the American West made yeah. by an Italian. Oh, so they named yes, him I remember Bob reading about Robertson. This. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> my name is Bob Robertson. <laughs> so, I mean, perfect. So that was a pseudonym, but that was not Alan Smithy, but it was for yeah. pretty jingoistic reasons. Other times, though, filmmakers just do too damn much, so they use pseudonyms. Joel and Ethan Cohen are famous for it. They spread around their writing and directing and producing credits among themselves because they basically make every movie together. Yeah. They co-write, they co-direct, they co-produce. The Coen brothers. Oh. And so, but they they list one as director, they list one as writer, they list one, both as producer, things like that. Just like whoever, hey, whose turn is it? Kind of thing, right? But they often list Roderick James as the editor for their films, which they edit themselves. James, because they just don't want to have their name all over everything, right? I would. So Roderick James... 
He's been nominated for Oscars oh. for No Country for Old Men and Fargo. Oh. He doesn't exist. <laughs> oh, that's presumably, I, if, if they'd won, if won yeah. presumably one or both of them would have gone up and accepted it. And yeah. for like Roderick couldn't be here today. Night, we apologize. So. <laughs> I don't know. So another auteur named Steven Soderbergh, who I'm sure you know. Yes. He does everything. So he gives cinematography, screenwriting, and editing credits to Peter Andrews, Sam Lowry, and Marianne Bernard. None of those people exist. Hmm. For the movie adaptation, here's my favorite. We'll end with this. For the movie adaptation, Charlie Kaufman, the screenwriter, he writes himself into the movie as a, because he's trying to adapt the novel, I'm sorry, the book, The Orchard Thief, into Orchid, Orchid Thief, sorry, into the movie. So he writes himself and his fictional twin brother, Donald Kaufman are both in the story. In fact, Donald becomes kind of a, the, the dominant lead character who doesn't exist. He credited Donald Kaufman as the co-writer and posthumously, because Donald dies in the movie, spoiler alert. Uh, so here's the thing. Donald was not only really dead, Donald had never existed. <laughs> so Charlie and Donald Kaufman won the Academy Award oh for God. the best adapted screenplay. That's Funny. pretty meta. Pretty mm-hmm. meta. So I, you know, Charlie accepted it or his dead brother, Donald, <laughs> who, was, who, was, who was a non-person. That's one of my faves. I love that. That is the story. But that was a good movie. That was a great movie. Did not do well. Fantastic movie. Because it was It was weird. weird. It was yeah. funky. I mean, he really did. He was, Charlie Kaufman, a great screenwriter, was hired to just do a straight-up adaptation of this best-selling book. He just couldn't do it. He couldn't get into it. So he started, he started becoming, the story started becoming him having writer's block. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to introduce this fictional twin brother who was more outgoing than he was and party and stuff like that and actually has a relationship with a character from The Orchid Thief. It's very strange. Orchid. Orchid. I said it right, right? <laughs> he did. I, I never said that word right. You scared yourself. I did scare myself. Did I say it right, Carrie? <laughs> was it Meryl Streep in that movie, too? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was she a good movie. was the, the I female. I recommend that movie tremendous. Again, it did like eight million bucks. What's it it lost again? money. It's called uh, Adaptation. Adaptation, but it's a really mm. good movie. I have, think I have heard of that. I have, think I have heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> that is the story of Alan Smithy, the weirdest director of all time who never existed. Well, thanks, Dean. You're welcome, I'm Carrie. I'm going to make a movie and credit it to Alan Smith. Are you? <laughs> yeah. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Dad and nah. Rachel are going to make a movie together. There'll be a dispute. <laughs> <laughs> Smithy, here we go. And I'll star in it. There probably would. <laughs> Carrie, tell Weird, Weird World Podcast at gmail.com and <laughs> on Twitter. I mean, not on Twitter. On Facebook and Instagram and Patreon and yeah. Weird World Pod world, world. on yeah. Twitter. <laughs> Uh, don't ask me why. These why? children make endless fun of their mother, <laughs> and it's just cruel. Oh. What? Character Char- limit. Oh, okay. That's why. I don't have any idea why. Weird I don't know why. Anyway, goodbye. All right. See you guys later. Until next time. Have fun. Peace out.